Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. One from me and one from former host Tracy V. Wilson. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 16th. Ida B. Wells Barnett was born on this day in 1862. And let me tell you, Ida B. Wells Barnett never gave up. She was enslaved from birth, born to enslaved parents, and marriages between enslaved people weren't legally recognized. But after the end of the Civil War, her parents got their marriage formalized. They made sure that Ida and her siblings got an education. It was incredibly important to both of them. Her mother actually enrolled in school as well so that she could educate herself, give herself the education she had not been allowed while enslaved. But then, when she was 16... Both of Ida B. Wells' parents died in a yellow fever epidemic. She was away visiting her grandparents at the time. Everybody tried to stop her from going back home. There weren't even any passenger trains running because the epidemic was so bad. She took a freight train back to her hometown of Holly Springs, Mississippi, to look after her surviving siblings. Her baby brother had actually also died by the time she got there. And when she heard her father's brothers from the Masonic Lodge talking about how they were going to split up the children and take them in groups of ones and twos, Ida B. Wells said no, they were not. She refused to let them do that. She said that if her father's brothers from the Masonic Lodge helped her find a job, she would take care of all of her siblings. She was 16 years old. She got a job as a teacher. She didn't give up pursuing her own education, though. She kept up with that while she was studying. After a while, she moved to Memphis with her two youngest sisters. That was in 1881. And she kept working as a teacher. She had to commute back and forth by train for this job. And after doing this for about two years without incident, she was on her way back from a trip to Holly Springs one day when a conductor told her she would have to leave the ladies' car. She refused. She had paid for a first-class ticket on the lady's car. The conductor insisted, and she refused again, so he took her baggage to the forward car, expecting that she would follow her stuff if he moved it, but she did not. She again refused to move, so he tried to remove her bodily from her seat. She dug in and then bit him. Ultimately, she was removed from the train by force, and she wound up filing not one but two lawsuits about it. The first one wasn't even settled when she was taken off the train again. This was one of the things that led her to become more politically active. She started a career in journalism under the pen name of Iola. And then three men that she knew were lynched in Memphis. They had been trying to defend their grocery store against a white mob. She started focusing a lot of her writing and a lot of her investigative journalism on lynching. She was calling attention to how many Black men were being murdered for alleged crimes totally outside of the law. A lynch mob actually formed to come after her and the co-owner of the newspaper that she was running. She was actually out of town at the time. She did not even go back to Memphis to try to get her belongings after this happened. But once again, she did not back down. Investigating lynching became the work that she would pursue for the rest of her life. She mounted a huge anti-lynching crusade that involved multiple trips across the Atlantic Ocean to the United Kingdom. Even though Southern legislators blocked several attempts to pass federal anti-lynching legislation, she never abandoned this work, and she kept it going after she married Ferdinand Lee Barnett on June 27th of 1895. Although her work did slow down a little bit as she had and raised children, it didn't stop. People had criticized her 
for not being married before she got married. She was 32 at the time of her marriage, and now they criticized her for getting married, basically saying that she had important work to do and she didn't need to be wasting time on a marriage and children. But number one, she wanted to get married and have children. Number two, she and her husband had found in each other someone who could help them with the work that they were doing and actually make it more possible for them to be able to do it. Late in Wells Barnett's life, she went to a Negro History Week event where the speaker had written a book on the subject. The field of Negro history was just forming and would, of course, later become Black history. This book did not mention her or her anti-lynching campaign at all, so she once again refused to give up and got to work writing her own autobiography so that there would be a record of what she had done. Her daughter edited this book and had it published after her death. It came out in 1970. Ida B. Wells died on March 25th of 1931 at the age of 69, and you can learn more about Ida B. Wells Barnett on the Stuff You Missed in History class episode from June 4th, 2018. And you can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a famous mass execution. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was July 16, 1854. On her way to church, Elizabeth Jennings attempted to board a streetcar that did not allow Black passengers on it, which was permitted sometimes when no passengers objected. Though the conductor said he would not allow her to board, she insisted that she board. The standoff between Elizabeth and the conductor ended with the conductor and the driver forcefully removing her from the streetcar. This incident and the trial that followed became news across the United States, and the railroad company that operated the streetcars began integrating them. Elizabeth Jennings was from a middle-class family in New York. Her parents were engaged in their communities. Her father, Thomas Jennings, was the first Black man to receive a patent. He helped found philanthropic organizations like the Wilberforce Society and the New York African Society for Mutual Relief. He helped establish the first Black-owned and operated newspaper in the U.S. Elizabeth's mother, also named Elizabeth, was active in the Female Literary Society of New York. Young Elizabeth and her siblings were well-educated, despite the limited access Black children had to schooling in New York at the time. Elizabeth grew up in a segregated New York at a time when slavery was still legal in the United States, but her parents' activism influenced her early on. She was a teacher and a church organist. On July 16, 1854, Jennings was running late on her way to the first colored American congregational church, where she was the organist. The streetcars were segregated, and the cars for Black people came less frequently than the ones for white people. So Elizabeth tried to board the whites' only Third Avenue streetcar, but the conductor refused to let her board. Elizabeth told the conductor she was trying to get to church on time. When the conductor stuck to his refusal, she said she would wait on that car until the next one that took Black passengers came. The next car was full, so Elizabeth stayed. But the driver was tired of waiting, so Elizabeth was allowed to board. Elizabeth commented that she was, quote, a respectable person born and raised in New York, and told the conductor that he was, quote, 
a good-for-nothing impudent fellow for insulting decent persons while on their way to church. This set the conductor over the edge. He pulled Elizabeth's friend Sarah off the streetcar and physically forced Elizabeth out. She tried to hold onto a window sash as the conductor and driver dragged her from the car to the platform. Determined to ride, Elizabeth got back onto the car. The conductor told the driver to drive until they got to an officer or police station. They found an officer who listened to the conductor's account of what happened, but not Elizabeth's. Elizabeth ended up walking home. She wrote down what happened, and her father took what she wrote to leaders in the community, including Frederick Douglass. People helped raise money so Elizabeth could get an attorney. Just three days after Elizabeth was removed from the streetcar, the New York Daily Tribune ran a story on the incident. Chester A. Arthur, who had only been practicing law for a little over a month, was hired to be Elizabeth's attorney. He filed a suit on behalf of Elizabeth Jennings in the state Supreme Court, seeking damages from the conductor, driver, and Third Avenue Railway Company. In February of 1855, she was awarded $225 in damages plus 10% for court costs. The judge said that the company was, quote, bound to carry all respectable persons, that colored persons, if sober, well-behaved, and free from disease, had the same rights as others. Companies in New York began desegregating their streetcars, largely because of the potential for lawsuits if they didn't. Racial discrimination on public transportation wasn't outlawed in New York City until the Civil Rights Act of 1873 went into effect. Chester Arthur, Elizabeth's lawyer, became the president of the United States in 1881 after James Garfield was assassinated. Elizabeth Jennings Graham, as she was called after she married in 1860, later opened the first free kindergarten for Black children in New York. She died in 1901. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to learn more about Elizabeth Jennings, you can listen to an episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Elizabeth Jennings Graham. The link is in the description. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.